How are you guys? Y'all doing okay? Good, good. We've uh, we've been gone uh, for most of the weekend with uh, uh, some of our leaders and whatnot here at 24 and just kind of praying together and thinking together and uh, sharing together and all of those things. And uh, it's uh, I'd be lying to say if we weren't a little tired, but uh, we're excited at the same time about uh, things that God is doing. Um, I, I don't know. I have no words. No words express what's really going on here. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see the effects of it in the days to come, and that's pretty awesome to know. Um, yeah, so thank you for being here today on a nice, sunny day. <laughs> I, suddenly, I suddenly feel like we've transitioned to Seattle, is what I, is, is what I really feel like. I spent, I spent about a year doing master's degree work uh, in Seattle. Going, I would go once a month to Seattle for either a weekend or a week at a time, depending upon the month. And, uh, and I, I, I like Seattle. I, I don't want to live there. Um, and uh, this has reminded me a little bit of that uh, with, uh, with the overcastness all the time. But uh, uh, sun, the sun was nice this week. We saw a little sun. And uh, hopefully it'll be back this week too. So, But uh, anyway, well, hey, if uh, you got your Bible with you, let's go ahead and get to, to Mark chapter 11. Uh, we've been going through Mark uh, for a little while now, a little over a year. And uh, we, uh, we're in chapter 11. We're finishing chapter 11. That means we're coming nearer to the end of the book. And uh, uh, I'm excited about uh, getting to do that. We're, we're actually going to take a little break from the book here in a, a month or so. But uh, uh, for now, uh, we're, we're, we're still in it. And uh, we'll come back to it later on, too. But uh, yeah, Mark chapter 11 is where we're going today. And, uh, you know, last week I shared from this passage where, uh, you know, Jesus. Uh, is is talking uh, to you know the people that uh, he's gone into Jerusalem. Yeah, if you need, if you need a Bible, let our ushers get you one. Just throw your hand up if you don't have one; they'll get you one. And if you don't own one, you can keep that. We'd love for you to have it. It's a gift. Uh, but uh, you know, last week we talked uh, out of this passage that's the the withering fig tree, and uh, it's one of those it's one of those like weird weirder passages of scripture where a lot of people kind of walk away from the whole fig tree thing going, like, I really don't understand what's going on with that. Hopefully we brought some clarity to that for you. I can't reteach the whole thing for you today. Uh, but there's a couple things that kind of hit me as I was studying on uh, this passage for this week uh, that kind of point back to last week. Uh, and, and I just felt like it was worth mentioning. Uh, you know, in the, in the midst of... Um, of the disciples asking Jesus, why did, you, why did that happen? Why did you do that? Why did you, why did you kill that tree? Uh, you know, when they come back and they find it and all this kind of stuff, uh, you know, Jesus has this, uh, you know, kind of has this little answer uh, that is not exactly probably what they were looking for, but it's what they got. Um, and this is not on the screen or anything, so just kind of bear with me. I'm kind of really, I, I don't know if I'm entertaining myself with going ahead and telling you this or what, but I just felt like I, I, I should... I should do it, but um, so they say, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that was cursed is withered, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, where'd it go? I knew I'd, I knew I'd mess this up, because it's not, I didn't, I didn't make it all neat with my notes and stuff. Uh, be taken up, look, where'd it go, where'd it go? My eyesight's really good these days, by the way. Um, this, is why you don't, this is why you don't see me doing this and why I print everything out. Uh, for myself. Uh, it says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes 
that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if, any, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So that, that little passage, you know, like Jesus gives that answer, and he goes immediately into talking about, you know, like moving a mountain. Well, one of the things that, you know, I learned actually this past week from studying is I was continuing to kind of, st- again, this is part of the reason why, we've got some mice back there or something. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that you see this whole, like, studying through the context of Scripture and, like, getting a bigger picture of what's going on, part of why we do that is for things like this. Uh, you know, understanding, you know, things that we can't see in the words, but once we understand more about the history of what was going on at that time, at that moment in time, there was this, there was this great fortress that was built on a mountain there that was Herod's fortress, uh, and and he had he had literally like moved a lot of the mountain to build this fortress in this place, and this was in the scenery of where Jesus is having the conversation with the disciples when the disciples are asking him about you know well, Jesus why did you kill the tree of course it's still like he's still not and he's still not answering the question they, they, the way they want him to answer the question uh, of course because it's Jesus uh, which is typically what happens with all of us uh, and and he says uh, instead he says you know we have you know the faith to move this mountain when he's saying move the mountain they're I mean like they can see in the background oh, there's, there's the mountain with Herod's fortress. And they know that he's literally, Herod has literally, with the help of tons of slaves, tons of labor, tons of work, that he has literally moved some of this mountain, built this fortress, this huge thing. And of course, the fig tree, we know the fig tree, because we know because we studied it last week, we, we know that the fig tree you know, resembles, symbolizes the Israelites not bearing fruit, God's chosen people, and likewise the tree, not faithful to its creator, not bearing fruit, just like God's people not bearing fruit. And so, you know, when Jesus is talking about this, one of the things that's going on here, and I just just felt like this was big enough to bring it back up and kind of rehash just a little bit of what we had talked about, uh, is that we see Jesus basically kind of giving them this like, look guys, your faith, your faith that like, yeah, it can be used to move a mountain, like Herod moved the mountain, like it can be done kind of thing. Your faith is great enough to move a mountain, but there are greater things that your faith can do than move a mountain, producing fruit for God's kingdom being part of that. So I know that's a little thing, but it's really not a little thing. It's really kind of a big thing. I could probably preach a message around it. I'm not going to today. We're going to move on to uh, to uh, the rest of chapter 11, verse 27. How about that? Is that good with you guys? Good. Thanks for entertaining me. So, Mark 11, verse 27, we have, again, continuation of what just happened, like the the, the people, you know, all of the, all the people that are around, uh, the folks that are, you know, questioning Jesus, they question Jesus. Uh, in the middle of that whole fig tree scenario, it's like three parts of Scripture, and in the middle of it's the questioning of Jesus and all that. Well, you know, we we got a little bit little bit of that going on here, and um, and he, Jesus gets questioned here in verse twenty seven, 
And it says this, let's go ahead and read. It says, and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? These things. These things. They ask him, what kind of authority do you have to do these things? Who gave you the authority to do these things? Who has given you the right to do these things? Now, these things is talking about all this stuff that Jesus just did. Now, you remember what just happened. Jesus clears the, clears the temple. We talked about this last week. This is, again, part of the fig tree deal. Jesus clears the temple of, like, all the people that are selling stuff. And, and that's we talked about. Again, you got to go back and listen to all this stuff or whatever if you want to catch up to speed. Uh, but Jesus, you know, has gone in, and he's basically... Uh, you know, trying to get the criminals out. And unfortunately, at that point in time, the criminals were probably the people that were leading uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, these people that were in charge of the temple and that kind of thing, some of the priests and, and whoever who knows. And so you've got this whole situation where it's not, it's not good. And, and Jesus walks in and he clears this out. He clears all these people out. But in essence, what he's doing is he's making them all mad. So, you know, just like the day before that, he enters in Jerusalem, beginning of Passover week, it's a party, triumphal entry, I mean, like, Jesus is the man, okay? Like, there is no man greater than the man, he is the man in that moment in time, and a bunch of them are realizing this is the Messiah coming in on the donkey, like, God be praised, it's finally time, but the unfortunate part, if you haven't been tuning in with us, because... If you have, you've heard me say this 1,000 times. They were looking for a political savior. A political savior. They weren't looking for the savior to take away their sin. They thought they'd just keep on sacrificing animals for all that kind of stuff. And Jesus came to be the savior that they needed, not the one that they wanted. And so as Jesus comes, he's come with truth, and as anybody who's willing to stand for truth does, as he sees wrong, he shines light on it, he brings it to light, he's willing to deal with it, and that's what he does. And so in the midst of that, he's making all these people mad, <laughs> mainly because he's taken away some income. They had a great thing going. They were selling the lambs, remember all that? Selling all these animals for people to sacrifice. You know, they basically had like the, you know, we've got the best lambs in the land market going on right there in the temple. So that when people came to sacrifice something for their sin, they would come and they would pay the highest price to get the best thing that they could get to try to make sure that they got rid of their sin. And it, isn't, that, isn't that what we do with sin sometimes? Isn't that what we do with sin sometimes? We, we end up paying the highest price possible to try to get rid of it after it's too late. Isn't that, isn't that kind of what we do? That's what they were doing. Thank God for us that we understand that we don't need to go out and find the best animals we can and bring them up here to the warehouse and slaughter them. That would be messy. But that God the Father sent the Lamb to come and to die for us 
And here he is. And he's come to town. And he's made these people mad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people are, start, people are starting to question, you know, am I really behind this guy right now? I'm not real sure. I'm not real sure this is the guy I want to be behind because I thought that he was going to come in here and I thought this was going to be about trying to get us everything that we wanted because that's what we want politicians to do. And that's what they were looking at Jesus to do. And so they come to Jesus and they say, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? And these things, they're talking about all this stuff that he's just out of nowhere. He's, he's, he's been healing people. He's been, he cleared the temple, all this kind of stuff, you know. Verse 29, it says, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. This is like a, you know, this is a moment. Like, this is one of those movie moments, you know. It's like, you know, this could be in the Matrix or something. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So he says, I'm going to ask you a question. You answer me. And then I'm going to tell you by what authority I was sent. And so then he asked the question, verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. <laughs> I wish... There's just so many times in Scripture I'm just like, I just want to see somebody's facial expression during this moment, you know? Like, I, I'm like, and all these guys that are questioning Jesus, when, when he's looking at them and he's like, uh, okay, yeah, uh, I'll tell you what's up, uh, but first question, and here's the question, baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from man? Answer me now, you know? And I'm just thinking, like, they're, they're probably, like, making crazy faces or whatever. I don't know, maybe they're not. But either way, this is the question that he has posed. And there's a reason why he's posed this question. This question brings to light their, uh, their interest in asking him the question that they're asking him, by what authority have you been sent? You see, the truth is, is, is that these guys at this point, they're, they're not in a good place. They're not happy with Jesus we already, we already covered that in the last passage, these are the guys that want to, let me use the word that Scripture uses, destroy him. They want to destroy Jesus, like, what is it, like day two or something after the triumphal entry. I mean, happy Passover week to these guys, right? This is, this is where their hearts are. Their hearts are so hard against what God is trying to do. They only see what they want. They only see the money. They only see the loss of money. They only see even their people. You know, a big part of Jesus clearing that out of the temple, again, we talked about this last week, was that that was where the Gentiles were supposed to worship. They're mad. They're mad because he's come in and he's cleaning house on everything that needs to be cleaned house on. And they want to kill him. And they're trying to trap him with this question. They're trying to trap him. They're putting him on the spot in front of crowds of people. And here's their answer. Check it out, verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? 
Because, okay, let's, let's go back to a you know, history lesson here. John, the Baptist, is who we're talking about here. John came before Jesus to tell people about Jesus that people would know of his coming. This was part of the plan when they were babies together in the different wombs of the two cousins and all this crazy stuff as angels spoke to both of these mamas and like this was known that this is the way this was going to go down for a long time. And Jesus says to them, uh, so is John, was the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from man? And so what he's saying is, did you believe the message that John came with? Did you believe in what he was doing, baptizing people in my name? And they discuss it, and they say, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? It goes on in verse 32, and it says, but shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they're they're, they're in a catch-22 right now. Jesus knows what he's doing, by the way. <laughs> Jesus is like, oh, you, you, want, you, want to play, you want to play word games with me? I got some word games for you. Let's go. So they asked Jesus this question. Jesus asked this question back. And at the end of the day, if they say that John's message, John's baptism was from heaven, then he's going to say, then, then why, what's, what's the big deal? Then you already know. You already know where this came from. You already know what authority I've been sent in because John's been teaching that already. But if they say John's a fraud, which is really what they want to believe because they don't like this Savior that's come to like mess up how they've been making money and all these other things, and you know they're trying to kind of push the Gentiles out of even being in the temple altogether, like let's just set up the marketplace where they're supposed to worship and then they can just go outside somewhere. these things that Jesus has done. Where did he get this authority? I'll say again in verse 32, but shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. In other words, the people at large had been hearing the message of John, had heard the message of John, and they are on board with the message of John. Why? Why? Because Scripture from old, from hundreds of years before, told that this is the way it was going to go down. So when John comes along and he starts telling how, you know, that this is all about to happen, and then they start seeing the things that Jesus is doing and all this stuff, I mean, immediately they begin to see like the scripture is being fulfilled right in front of our face. Like John's right. John is a prophet, John has come from the Lord. John didn't come wanting anything. He came telling of the Messiah to come. He didn't even come saying, hey, look at me, I'm the man. He's like, hey, look at me, I need to tell you about the man. And the man is coming, and he's coming right behind me. And you guys need to be ready, because he's going to be ready to go, and he wants to take you for a ride. I like it. I like it. So if they say <laughs> he's from heaven, <clears throat> then Jesus is going to say, then <laughs> what's the problem here? <laughs> why aren't you believing? If, if you think he's from heaven, then why aren't you believing? At the same time, if they say, oh, he's of man, 
the baptism of John was from, of man, then they're afraid that they're going to get jumped by the crowd. And, and so they realize, like, they're, walk, they're, walking this, they're walking this fine line. You see, when you're, in a, when you're in a leadership position and you decide to stray off of the truth, to stray off of the course, and you begin to, you know, try to make things up as you go or try to go your own path or, you know, whatever, uh, it, it just usually doesn't work real well when, when, it, when you're talking about truth specifically here, okay? And, and for them, they realize, like, We've got to be super careful right now because if we say the wrong thing and we lose all of these people that we have the potential to lead them where we want them to go, if, if we mess that up, we're going to be jacked. Like literally, they might be jacking us in the jaw. And so in this moment, what are they supposed to do? Verse 33, it says what they do. It says, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. <laughs> we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> Jesus is like, okay, you're a liar, so I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Jesus is like, you didn't answer my question, so I'm not answering yours. And, and here's the truth. Jesus already knew that they didn't care what he said. They Again, they're trying to trap Jesus. They know what he thinks. They know what they want him to say, and they want him to say it out loud so that it just gives them furthermore reason of like, oh, you see, you see, you guys, you see, Jesus is crazy. He's crazy. He's losing his mind over here. Like, you guys don't need to be following that guy. In fact, we need to kill this guy. We need to get rid of this guy. That's what we need to do with this Jesus guy. That's what the setup is all about. Their interest was not in knowing the truth, but it was in saving their own tails. You see that? Furthermore, Jesus was exposing their ignorance and their lack of sincerity. That comes straight from the ESV study Bible. I didn't even want to reword it. It was just so good. He's exposing their ignorance and their lack of sincerity. By not knowing if John was from God, then they couldn't know if he was either. Meaning they can't judge Jesus' ministry. So they come with all this, like we're the, we're the religious leaders and they've got this authority that they have, you know, kind of thing going on. And, and then here in the moment, when they're standing in front of the Son of God, and he's asking them just very simple questions about, okay, well then, you know, what about John? And what about this? You know, then they can't even answer. And the truth is, is they don't care. Again, they, they, don't, they don't care about the truth. They don't care about the truth. And folks, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I say stuff like this from time to time. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. You need to be warned. You need to be warned about people who claim to love the Lord but don't really care about the truth. When people who say they love Jesus call themselves Christians and they can get interviewed publicly and they can ask them point-blank questions about the Bible and do you believe this about Scripture and there are things that we know are true to God's Word. I'm not talking about gray areas. I'm talking about like 
foundations of our faith, the blood of Jesus, the cross, the things that matter the most, and and they deny those things or they dance around and they say they don't know that the alarms should go off. Furthermore, for all the people on TV that say they're TV preachers or whatever they are, that are not really preaching the truth. There are some that are, and praise God for the ones that they are. But there's a bunch of them that they're not, and they are no different than these guys who want the money in place of the Gentiles being in their temples. They want people that look just like them and act like them, and they want all the money that they can get from whoever will give it in hopes that they'll believe that they'll get healed or they'll get rich or whatever it is if they'll just give more money. That's called the prosperity gospel, and it's from the pit of hell. Jesus stepped up with authority, and this shocked people. It shocked people. It's, it's, I don't know if you've ever like, been at a workplace where like, somebody new gets hired, you know? And uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to that. You know, when, when somebody new gets hired, I mean, you know, it's, it, sometimes that can be like, oh, no, I don't know how this is going to go, right? Especially when it's like somebody that's in a command over you or whatever, and you're like, and, you know, it's, it's real hard to not be like, who are you and what horse did you just ride in on? You know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of like our initial, like, you know, we're like, you know, you don't deserve to be here. I've been here 20 years. What do you think you're doing here? You're going to come in here and tell me what to do? Let me take you for a ride today, you know? Let me show you how to use a hammer, you know, or whatever, you know? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of how we feel, right? Jesus comes with an authority, but here's, here's the amazing part, is he also comes with humility. He also comes with humility. I read a statement late last night. I wish I, wish I had written it down. And it was something about that the people of God will be led by God when they're broken by God or humbled by God or something along those lines. And I just thought, man, how true is that? Like we so all the time want to just think we've got it all figured out, right? And we just want to like go into it and just like, here's how it's going to be and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And and, I mean, we want to do that in life, you know, in general a lot of times. And the truth is, is God is looking for a people who are broken, who are willing to humble themselves before him and say, I don't know anything and I need you to lead me. I don't have this figured out, and I know you do. Please, please take the wheel. Carrie Underwood reference for the day. <laughs> so, with this authority that Jesus has been given, why, you know, th- this passage is a pretty simple passage. And I kept praying about, you know, what, Lord, what do you want from us in this passage? Like, what's, what's this passage say in accordance to the, to the gospel as a whole? Like, that's one of the things that I'm always looking at with a passage of Scripture. like, what's the gospel say to this passage? And so I, I, I just began praying about, like, the authority thing. And I came to a passage that maybe you've heard about it before. It's in Matthew chapter 28. And it also talks about Jesus' authority, and it, and it answers the question that they wanted answered. And, of course, Jesus was like, nana, nana, boo, boo, you're not answering my question, I'm not answering yours. Matthew 28, verse 16, check this out. It says, Now the eleven disciples 
went to Galilee. We're at the end of, of Jesus' ministry, okay? This is, the, this is the end. This is before he's about to, to go be back with the Lord and all that good stuff. This is after the resurrection, by the way, okay? So, uh, you know, pretty, pretty important stuff. We know this is the Great Commission, by the way. And so we've got 11 disciples because Judas, at this point, has betrayed Jesus and gone off and killed himself, unfortunately. And he says this. It says, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <laughs> but some doubted. I'm like, come on, guys. You know, I mean, that's, that's what I want to say. But the truth is, is, this is what we do. Like, we, we can say, how stupid are the disciples for doubting at this point? Like, everything they've seen Jesus do. And they're like, oh my gosh, how could they doubt him when ev- with everything that they've been through? But the truth is, this is us. We doubt the Lord all the time. You say, oh no, Chris, I never doubt the Lord. Oh yeah? What about the sin in your life? When we sin, we are saying, God, I know you've got a plan, and I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm doubting what you want me to do right now, and I'm going to do it my way. Even though I know at the end of the day this is going to hurt me, and it's, and it's, you know, it's not going to be good for me, and it's not going to please you, and I know at great length, really the reason you don't want me to do it is because you don't want me to be heard. It's not some game or something. That's, that's what we do. We, we doubt in little ways. We doubt all the time. And it says, they come to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them, came and said to them, all authority. All right, here you go. Get ready for this. All authority, all of it. (laughs) Not like we got a little bit of authority over this, a little bit over that. No, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I, I don't know if you can come up with more authority than that. You know? Like, I just, I just can't think, I can't stop thinking about Dwight Schrute looking for authority as the assistant manager, assistant manager, manager of the assistant manager or something or whatever it was that his title was. He was always trying to, like, make up. Michael's like, no, you're, you know, you're just the assistant or whatever it is, you know? You know, I mean, yeah, Right? And, and Jesus comes and he's like, all authority in heaven, all authority on earth has been given to me. And so he, he lays claim to what we know is truth, by the way. He's come from the Father. That's who's given him the authority. He's come and he's laying claim to all the authority over all things. And then in turn, he's about to tell us something. Do you think we ought to listen to what he's about to tell us in the next couple of sentences before he goes back to be with the Father? Probably so. And here it is. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. All the authority in heaven and on earth. And then what's he ask us to do? He says, go. Go 
and make disciples. Does he say at any point we should retire from this? Does he say at any point we should take long breaks and and just go live in the woods for a while? No. No. There's nothing about the gospel that leads us to believe that we can go do this on our own. We cannot do this on our own. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. With that statement alone, he is kicking those same guys in the teeth that were throwing the Gentiles out of a place to worship by holding a marketplace where they're supposed to be and saying, no, no, I'm saying you got. we got to go get them all. I love them all. I died for them all. My grace is good for all. All nations. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe what? What? All. All that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. Do you know why we have the Bible as we have it? Scripture, 66 books that make up what we call the canon. You know why we have that? The reason that we have Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books that we have in our Bible, is different sometimes from other Bibles that you may run into from time to time. The reason that we have what we have is because these are Past, these are scriptures that either Jesus or his apostles taught from during their ministry. That's why they're chosen to be a part of the Bible. You say, because you might have somebody ask you along the way, well, how do you know? How do you know it's, a, you know, there's other historical documents out there? You know, well, that, that's why. And when I look at this statement, when I look at this statement and I see Jesus say, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I'm like, thank the Lord for what we have in God's word. I thank the Lord for it. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is, Jesus is, is coming with authority and he's giving us a mission, and at the same time he's saying, and I'm not going to leave you. You won't do this alone. Don't think for a second that you'll do this alone. I won't let you. I love you. I care for you. I've come to give my life for all of you. That means no matter how great the sin in our life, means no matter how far down the road of bad things that we can come up with, means no matter how terrible of a life that we have lived in the past, Jesus still loves us, and the blood that he shed on the cross is still good enough to set us free from all of that sin. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. And more importantly, Jesus doesn't care either. He just loves you, and he's saying, come home. 
come home. Come be a part of the family of God. Quit running away. Let me move in. Let me change your life. Let me make you new. Jesus was wise with how he was answering their question. He was wise with how he was answering their question. In fact, you know, how he answers their question, you know, may seem somewhat avoiding, but the truth is, is that, you know, they had already made up their minds what they wanted to do with Jesus. It didn't matter how he answered the question. He might have been prolonging a little bit of time here for some things to take place, but Jesus knew the plan. Jesus knew what was coming. I mean, we're in the week here at this point in Scripture, in the book of Mark, where by the end of the week, they're going to kill him. He's staring down his death. He's, he's a dead man walking at this point, as they say. The only thing they don't realize is that he's a, a dead man walking that can't be killed forever. John twelve forty nine, or John twelve forty four. I want to read this little passage to you. I just felt like it was just so fitting with what we're talking about today. It says this, it says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. Let me read that again. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him, in him who sent me. You know, here we have this beautiful picture of God the Father and God the Son. You know, this understanding of the Trinity, is, it's a tough thing to wrap your mind around, and I, I love studying on it personally. It was probably the thing that, uh, you know, especially as I, as I did do seminary or cemetery work, depending on how you look at it, um, as I did some of that, uh, I, I studied on that, wrote a lot of papers on that, spent, spent more time probably on that than any other, like one thing, if I picked one thing or whatever it was. And I just, just, always, I just always kept learning more and more. Uh, trying to understand and all that. But you know, one of the things that I think is just very basic at an understanding of the Trinity is realizing that Jesus as the Son comes under the authority of the Father. And here he's saying, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. You see, if we believe in Jesus, then we're believing in the Father. It goes on in verse 45 and it says, and whoever sees me Seize him who sent me. You see, Jesus spends his whole ministry pointing back to the Father, pointing us toward the Father. I mean, his whole ministry, he's, he's, he's doing this. He says, verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Did you hear that? If you thought Jesus came to be the judge, jury, and executioner, you, you missed it. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save you. And Jesus came to save me from myself and from my sin. And I needed it. And I still need it. 
Jesus came to be light that whoever believes in him would not remain in darkness. Let me ask you a question today. Are you in darkness? Are you in light? What's it going to be? We decide every day what that looks like in our life. If we're going to walk in darkness, if we're going to walk in light. Now, obviously, the ultimate darkness and light is either knowing the Lord and not knowing the Lord, having a relationship with Jesus and not having a relationship with Jesus. But the truth is, is even in those little moments of doubting, when we choose sin over God's plan, we're choosing moments of darkness. And they hurt us, and we know that. And then Jesus comes and he says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You see, Jesus came on a mission. You don't see Jesus spending his whole ministry telling everybody they're wrong. Now, he didn't mind, you know, kicking over a few tables and, you know, telling people some things about how it needed to be. But he needed to do that to set precedent so that we would understand several things along the way about what is really important in this life. In verse 46, it says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me as himself given me, has given himself, has, has himself given me a commandment what to say, and what to speak. You see, Jesus is saying, I've come under the authority of the Father to do this. And in verse 50, he says, And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So, today, the biggest question that you can ask yourself is, am I coming under the authority of Jesus? If you're not a believer, if you've never trusted in Christ to be your Savior, that to me means one thing. That to me means one thing. Either today you are denying who Jesus is and who he's calling you to be, and you're just saying, you know what, I don't have anything to do with it, or you're saying to yourself, you know what, today's the day. Today's the day that I let God do something amazing in my life. Today's the day that he's going to save me. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you something. If God is speaking to your heart today, I pray that you would listen. I pray, I pray, that, I pray that you would have like, like sharpshooter focus right now. That you would listen to him if he is speaking to your heart and he's saying to you today, come to me. Be a part of my family. I love you. I want to forgive you. I want you to come. I want to save you from your sin. I want to save you from yourself. I want to give you a purpose in this life. If you're flailing around in life and you feel like you don't have purpose, well, chances are you don't. But guess what? God created us for a purpose. It's to make him known. It's, to, it's that others would know him because they know us. It's that he changes our life and our life suddenly has a purpose to matter in this world. It's a beautiful thing. His authority to us today means that he is Lord. 
His authority today means that He is Lord. Secondly, it means that He is sending us. He is sending us. What's that look like in your life today? What's that look like in your life today? I'll read it one more time. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I pray that we would be a church who doesn't walk with authority of saying, hey, look at me, or hey, look at us, but that we walk with an authority that is a heavenly authority from Jesus that we say, hey, look at him. Let's pray together. God, just how powerful is your word and how simple at the same time that, God, you have done something amazing in our lives You've interceded for us. You've made a way for us. You built a bridge. You did all of the things that we needed you to do that we couldn't do for ourselves. You've given us a way out of our own sin to give us new life and to give us purpose. Lord, I pray that we would go with that and that you would lead us in that and that it would all be for your glory. God, I pray for those that are listening to my voice right now that haven't trusted in you, God, I pray, Lord, that you would move in their hearts. I pray that you've softened their hearts today. I pray that they would act on something they know that is true, which is that you love them and you care for them, and it doesn't matter what their past looks like. You care about what the future looks like. God, save them today. God, do a work in their hearts today. Lord, make them new today. God, bring them into the family of God today. God, I pray that you would do that work. Only you can do it. God, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to know you, to have a relationship with you. God, you are just so good to us. God, we love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.